Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper, and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that, though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. I'm excited this week because we're going to be talking with our very first guest, Carrie Connolly. Now, Carrie is a dear friend of mine. I met her at Christian Theological Seminary, um, where we're both studying to earn our Master of Divinity degrees. I just finished mine, and Carrie will be finishing in the next year or so. Uh, But Carrie is more than that. She's also a certified personal coach. She is the co-host of the White on White podcast, which is a really fascinating podcast. If you are intrigued at all by racial constructs or hold any sort of white guilt or white shame or really want to know what is so bad about being white, I think this is the podcast for you. She has a variety of guests on uh, every episode, people that have worked in the police force, people that uh, study psychology, political science, um, people that are in education, and these people touch on race from a variety of angles. But the goal of the podcast is to talk about what it means to be white in this day and age, and to hopefully craft a positive and healthy white identity. So I encourage you to check it out. Carrie is also the author of the upcoming book, Good White Racist, that will be in stores this fall or winter. Uh, I've proofread most of it, and I think it's going to be transformational for anyone wrestling with questions about whiteness and race today. Uh, And Carrie also has her own blog called Jersey Girl Jesus, in which she explores race, she explores issues of faith, uh, and issues of feminism. And so I just highly encourage you, after listening to this podcast, to go check her out, check out her work, subscribe to her email list. Uh, You can find her at carrieconnolly.com, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. So having said all that, let's jump right into the interview. Um, Carrie and I are going to be talking about the first principle of radical self-awareness, it begins in blindness. Now, we're jumping right in here, and so know that uh, you're going to hear Carrie's voice, but what preceded this is me asking her the question, how the concept of it beginning in blindness applies to her work around discovering a positive white identity. I also want to note that the audio might get a little wonky at times. Because Carrie lives in New Jersey and I live in Indiana, we had to do this interview virtually via Zoom, and the audio was not as perfect as I would like it to be. So just bear with it. Even though the audio may sound a little funky at times, I think the content is still impeccable. So without further ado, here's Carrie Connolly and I's discussion about radical self-awareness. When you're operating in blindness, you don't really recognize that you're operating in blindness. And that's actually the way whiteness has been constructed for white, for white people very purposefully in, in this country. And um, so it's kind of, I kind of think of it like now, I think of it as if, you know, we're all standing, we're hanging out on this earth and we look at the air and the air seems clear to us, you know, but what if uh, there were aliens that were like looking down at the world and they saw the air as it truly was. And it was tinted this beautiful purple color that changed the way everything looks. Right. And then they come down here and they're like, dude, you've got like these filters on your eyes that you're, you're missing out on, on the truth of what actually is. And um, once you start to recognize that you're viewing the world through this, these filters, everything changes and it creates a lot of psychic discord. Um, 
when you realize that everything that you thought was true actually isn't true, you know, and, uh, and that, that's kind of what awakening to your own white identity is like. And I can give you kind of a, a, a specific example of, of a time where I realized that I might be carrying an identity that I wasn't aware of. And that was when I was in a Facebook group that w talked a lot about race. And in that conversation, I learned that black women specifically, but um, probably all black people, but black women specifically have sort of developed a, a kind of sixth sense or second sight to recognize whether white people were safe. And that was a shock to me that there might be something inherent in my identity that would be unsafe to somebody. And I, it was so um, kind of earth shattering to me that I went to a friend of mine who is a, a black woman. And when I expressed that to her, she just kind of nodded slowly, you know. And in that moment, I realized that not only was this true that there was something inherent in my identity that could be unsafe to people that I deeply care about, but that I had been bestowed, you know, an honor um, whenever some a, a person of color had entered into relationship with me. And so that was the first time that I realized that there might be something about my own identity um, that was inherently unsafe to people. And then I wanted to understand how I could be safe, how I could um, potentially not be safe. So I, I would recognize that. Um, and that, that was just a really, it was a painful um, awakening, but it was the first, one of the first times that I recognized that um, my whiteness was a thing in the world, right? Because so many, so often any kind of racialized incident was always about, for example, some between a black person and a white person, whether it was in the news or something personal, it was always about their blackness as opposed to my whiteness. So this was a moment when I started to understand that my whiteness is a thing in the world. It's a way that I operate in space and in relationship, and I needed to pay attention to how it was showing up in, in space and in relationship. Yeah, that's that's a powerful narrative. Um, and, you know, as I often think about blindness in my life, it is um, because probably of how headstrong I am, blindness has to like hit me in the face, right? And so I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm walking along and all of a sudden the lights get cut out and I'm like, oh, what is this? So for me, like coming to the edge of blindness and having the journey of radical self-awareness begin is typically um, a a powerful experience and sometimes a painful experience, an anxiety producing experience. Um, you know, it, it's the moment where I'm acutely aware of my limitations and also likely my failures and shortcomings. Mm -hmm. um, that's the only way that I can kind of pivot. Mm -hmm. um, can you think of any of those moments, you know, where kind of you physically or viscerally felt the weight of your blindness um, and talk about kind of the emotions it produced and how you begin to walk through that and, and forward rather than retreating and, and denying? Oh, um, wow. There's, there have been so many times where I have been such a jerk. <laughs> and, um, well, you know, there was one time in class, like the, you and I were in class and, and uh, together and you were actually able to help illuminate this for me. Um, and this was probably further along when I thought I was all, you know, aware, and yet mm -hmm. I wasn't. 
<laughs> it's always fun. Um, just when you think you got it, you don't. Right. Uh, so I had been in a class a long time ago with um, Monica Coleman, a black theologian. Mm -hmm. Um, and she had given us this, we, it, in discussing womanist the, theology, she had um, said something about how uh, a black woman's critique of white feminism is that white feminism was for middle-class white women who wanted the opportunity to work because in their social construct, they hadn't been permitted to work. And what Monica was saying was that black women who were often at a, um, in an economic status that required them to work, whether uh, for any number of reasons, they were like, hey, we would love the opportunity to not have to work, right? Mm -hmm. And so if she had said that in a, within a, con a context that um, explained it, made sense. And then I took that in a class that you and I were in, in a conversation, and I was really into this conversation and i only said one part of that com of what she had mentioned i took it out of context and i said something around you know uh white women were looking for the opportunity to to not to work and black women were looking for the opportunity not to work and there were a lot of black people in that class who kind of looked at me sideways and, <laughs> and so i was like what what's the problem <laughs> And uh, later, later, you and I <laughs> talked about that, and you were like, well, you know, you kind of came off looking like, you know, I was saying, playing into the, the, that stereotype that's out there, that, that Black women don't want to work. And, um, and so I learned yeah. that day that attribution is important, <laughs> context mm -hmm. is important. If I had slowed down with all of my good intentions, and I, I had taken the time to explain, hey, Monica Coleman, this is what she said, and this was the context in which she said it, um, it, yeah. it would have been, it would have gone better. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's, and it's a visceral, it is a visceral thing, because I think about, like, I can picture all of the beautiful faces in that class, and I just did harm to them, right? And mm. that, that gives me pain, right? Because that's not mm. my intention. Um, I think what happens a lot of times when white people feel that pain of having done harm that they did not intend to do, our first uh, response is defensiveness, is to mm -hmm. say, well, no, that's not what I meant, and you need to know what I meant. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I have had to learn is I have to very physically stay in the room, mm -hmm. uh, metaphorically and literally, when I'm being confronted with a way that I may have done harm, even if that harm was unintentional. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. I, you know, I think that I'm going to come back to the word good white racist, right? You know, yeah. and so for people that um, move through their life, move through their spaces, believe in their good people and likely are good people mm -hmm. um, to be confronted with these moments in which um, they have said something or done something that is either taken out of context or taken in context <laughs> and it is harmful, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, your reaction can be to deny, right? To avoid, mm -hmm. to escape instead of sitting in that moment and feeling the disease, feeling the tension, feeling the, the pain or the trauma and learning from it. Um, mm -hmm. So it's powerful brought up staying in the room physically and metaphorically because I think that that is where that work of um, imagining new identity begins actually it's in the room exactly exactly it's that's exactly right it's in the room and it's also about 
um, finding language that doesn't exist yet, um, reimagining language and reimagining, um, you know, power structures and, um, mm -hmm. And what does that look like? And I'm, I've recently, thank God I have another opportunity to edit the book because I think I need to add something in. I've um, recently been starting to realize that I think the process that white people go through as they, as we begin to um, remember our identity and, um, and imagine how we can operate in the world as uh, not a pseudo supremacist, supremacist mm -hmm. um, is that I think we go through something that's akin to the, sta the stages of grief. Um, mm. As we mourn what we thought was true about ourselves and, uh, and then come to a place where we go, oh, you know, no, there's this thing in me. I mean, I've, I've seen, I see the bargaining, I see the denial, I see the anger, I see all of that, and then finally the acceptance. Um, and once you get to the acceptance, I think it's kind of the, the understanding that we have been embedded with this construct and our white, our own whiteness has been rendered invisible to us. And now that we see it, the acceptance part is understanding that there's always going to be probably a layer and there's always going to be work to do and that there's always going to be an, um, this is kind of an, a, a lifelong process of unpacking it and doing the work. Mm. So, yeah, I, <clears throat> as you were talking, I have, um, two questions that came to mind one related to your work one tangential um the first that's related you know i love a good tangent <laughs> <Me too. laughs> so I uh, the first right <laughs> um so it, i imagine there most of the people that are going to listen to this you know all 70 of them uh most of them are <laughs> are probably progressive, um, maybe even college educated, and, and they're going to be vibing with you know everything we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but there may be one or a handful that aren't quite there yet, or even in outright denial. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering um, if there's a message you would have for that handful, or even a narrative. Uh, can, you know, can you think of a time something happened or some series of events happened that? cause you to slowly pivot because pivots usually aren't like overnight right they take mm -hmm. it's like turning a cruise ship it takes time um, mm -hmm. but maybe a moment that started that turn for you you know that that bridge space that you can kind of speak to those folks in yeah the the moment that's i, I feel like i'm supposed to talk about because it's the one that's overwhelmingly coming to my mind very <laughs> hugely in my head um is and I'm going to totally show my age, but it was around the time of the LA riots after the Rodney King mm. incident. Yeah, so and you're like 29. I'm totally 29. <laughs> <laughs> totally, <laughs> forever and always. Um, <laughs> actually, like 35. 35 was a really good year. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, basically, the, the the world was in a. Um, just it was just chaos back it was just an emotional such an emotionally wrought time and i had had an experience in my the first time i went to college i've been to college so many times um but the first time i went and i lived in the dorms i had an experience where i was placed with a um into a room with a woman who was black 
and who I also believe was unstable, mentally ill. I don't think she was healthy. Um, and she threatened me with a knife. <laughs> she threatened, she threatened me with violence. It was a horrible experience. I had to, it was really bad. Um, and after that, I definitely kind of teetered on the edge of going full blown, like racist. I really, I really did because I had had this incredible and it was a very racialized experience from her and she was going around saying i hate white people i hate you know so so it was a very uh racialized experience and then we move into the rodney king um incident and i was really upset and i didn't understand it and i wrote to i saw a guy by the name of uh the reverend calvin butts and he was on some talk show and i wrote to him and he wrote back to me and he said, the thing that I remember from his letter was he said, please just try to understand. He, was, he, just, he just said, just please try to understand. He said a lot more, but, but and, and his letter was very healing to me. But those words have kind of become my mantra is to just try to understand um, and when I hear that, I say, okay, let, that means I, I need to understand not just what's happening in my own psyche, my own self, but I need to try and understand what might be happening in, in other people, in mm. situations, in contexts. And um, so I think that that was definitely also a pivot for me, a time when, and, and it didn't happen overnight. Trust me, like it, like this awakening that I've had now has only been the last five years or so, but it comes from a, a basis of that kind of a background, you know. Um, there was a time when I was very young in a town very nearby me, the first police shooting that I ever heard of, the first bad police shooting happened mm -hmm. two towns away from me and it was national news. Mm -hmm. And a young, uh, a young boy was shot in the back um, by the police. Mm -hmm. And um, that was one of the first times that I started having that and you hearing all of the, the thought process about like, oh, well, he should have he just not run. Like all of those things, right? right? Um, that we, we always hear now, all of that bargaining that we hear, all of that denial that we hear mm -hmm. yeah. among white people. Um, did that, did that answer your question? Absolutely. I'm left with that phrase. Please just try to understand. Mm -hmm. That is so incredibly powerful. Uh, um, and it, it's more than just putting yourself in someone else's shoes, right? It's, um, suspending your judgment. It is acknowledging where you're at psychologically, physically, emotionally, and then trying to feel or empathetically connect right with where someone else is psychologically mm -hmm. physically and emotionally um, mm -hmm. you're I'm imagining creating a spiritual bridge from where you are to where they are and actually having to travel that bridge right before you allow yourself to to create judgment and that's such, such a powerful image and powerful phrase that's totally beautiful what you just said yeah and and i think so key to that and is that first part of what you said is about acknowledging where where we are first and foremost because that's going to um that's going to impact the way we behave and the way we we respond right and i think that 
um, for white people, what we have to acknowledge is, um, well, hey, I'm feeling a certain kind of way right now. Like you're, you're telling me that something that I just did or said is racist and that word is creating a reaction in me and I don't like that and I don't want to be called a racist because racism is really bad. Everybody knows racism is quote really bad, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're now associating me with something that's really bad and I don't like that. And, and so we have to acknowledge that we might be feeling defensive, we might be feeling really pissed off and angry, um, we might be thinking this person is a total jerk that's telling us that. So we have to acknowledge all of that first, and then we still have to stay in the room, yeah. right? We still have to stay in the room in order to do the work, so. Yeah, yeah, no, that, uh, you know, that brings up kind of us, not, not a central tenant, I've already got three of those. Uh, <laughs> we could do this for hours. <laughs> it, it brings up something, um, kind of one of my life rules is that no matter who you are, you are capable of making mistakes and playing in to um, systemic violence somewhere, shape, yes. form, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think about myself as um, kind as I think I am, as uh, empathetic as I think I am, as loving as I think I am, right? There's still times recently where I have said and done things that are racist or sexist, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it, 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 having that leveled against you isn't necessarily an, an outright judgment on your character. Now, it might be if that's the predominant way your character expresses itself. Right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I think that for most people, that's not the case, right? There are these right. moments and situations. And then we internalize that and feel like it invalidates every good thing we think we know about ourselves. And it doesn't have to, right? But it, it, it is an invitation to look into the caves of your personality, to look into those, those dark corners that you, it's easy to ignore, right? And to begin investigating, cleaning the rest of the house and not just the living room or the dining room. You know what yeah, I mean? totally. The closets too, man. So yes. yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because the, the, the book, in the book, the whole book is about paradox, right? It's about the idea that um, America has, as a country, has never lived up to its own beautiful ideals, these amazing ideals that you know, it's created. It, so America is both this beautiful, amazing country, and it's also this um, this evil thing, right? Because it has done great harm to whole people groups, yeah. um, and never lived up to its th these beautiful ideals that it has, you know. Put on this shining hill, right? And um, and it's the same as as American people. It's the same for us. Like we have these great ideals. I I do believe in the inherent goodness of of America, but at the same time, I believe in the inherent evil that that we do as a nation. And it's the same thing um, with with individuals. We can be both really good people, and we can be um, people who participate in in doing great harm. And I know I've done. I know I've done that. I know I have. And I've not liked it. Just like, you know, the Apostle Paul says, I do things that I don't want to do. I don't understand why I do them. You know, it's human nature. It's human nature. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Okay, so we're going to uh, pivot here. Um, because I think, you know, I, I love the work you're doing. You've got the book that's coming out um, that I have read most, if not all of, you know, and I can attest that it's going to, I think it's going to be a really transformational book um for for white people especially uh you've got the podcast the white on white podcast you know that mm -hmm. people can find on apple uh, itunes spotify etc mm -hmm. um you've got your blog jersey girl jesus that you're doing um that kind of touches on race but also some of your spirituality and you know your personal journey mm -hmm. 
And all those things are important. I encourage everyone to go look her up, to follow, subscribe, do all of the things um, because you, you won't regret it. Um, but I also want to broaden this a little bit. Um, I don't want to pigeonhole you into one particular lane, right? Because you are a whole person. And so as Carrie, you know, the, the entire person, the little girl who has been spiritual since she was a toddler, right? Mm -hmm. uh, from, from that to the grown woman who is completing seminary and writing um, a book on race, as you think about what it means for you to begin in blindness over the whole span of your life and, and what radical self-awareness means to you, um, where does your spirit go? Where, where are you led? Where, where do you come to? What place do you come to when you think about beginning this journey of self-awareness and blindness for yourself? Mm, that's so good. Oh. So I think that there's two different ways to be blind. Mm. I think that we can be blind because our sight is obstructed, right? Mm. There's something covering or blocking our sight. And then I think we can be blind because we are uh, surrounded by something. It's so ubiquitous that we can't see it because it's everywhere. Yeah. And I feel like um, whiteness is like that. I feel like my own spirituality, I feel like God is like that. I think that, um, you know, there is so much beauty in the world. I've never understood even I've, 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 don't get me wrong. I've had moments of doubt and frustration with the divine, but I have never really been able to entertain an existence that did not believe in something beautiful and divine beyond us. I've never been able to really do it. <laughs> it never made sense to my brain. Um, and so when I think about your question, I think that Sometimes we can be blind because we are surrounded, not because we're blocked. And if we could just um, kind of lift that veil a little bit. Um, and and it's, I think it's kind of like, you know, how in The Wizard of Oz, it goes from black and white to color. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I think it'd be kind of, it's kind of like that when you have those moments where you just of it's it's a moment of awe when you realize that God is everywhere, you know, and then you realize God is in everyone. And then that kind of holds you responsible for doing the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, that's a beautiful progression. You realize that God is everywhere and then God is in everyone and, and, and everything. And then, oh, shoot. That's <laughs> <Right>? Exactly. <laughs> and what do I have to do? Right. What's my responsibility? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, mm, that's powerful. Uh, thank you so much for being on this morning uh, with me, Carrie. Um, before we go, do you want to go ahead and just give another overview of where people can connect with you at and, and how they can follow your blog and your podcast and all those things? Yeah, the best the best place to get all the things is at kerryconnolly.com. Um, so that's just, just my name, kerryconnolly.com. And it's I really suggest you sign up for the newsletter because I do send out I try to do it every month where I'll send out an essay or something that I, I don't post anywhere else. And uh, plus that's where you'll get all the things like the book announcement when it comes, it becomes available in spring of 2020 and um, new podcast episodes and, and all that good stuff will be announced there. So sign up for the newsletter at kerryconnolly.com. 
Perfect. And you have the book, the podcast, the um, blog, and you do personal coaching as well? I do. Yep. And I just actually started a thing that I'm really excited about. It's called Let's Chat On Demand Coaching. So you can have access to me um, Monday through Friday via Voxer. So you can ask questions, you can, you know, reach out and get coaching via Voxer messaging. And um, it's for a very low price because I really... I'm really passionate about making sure that coaching is available to everyone. I, I don't want coaching to become this elite thing. So, yeah. And who are your, um, the demographic of the people you coach? Who, who's kind of your target audience? So it's mostly people who are, are beginning a transformation from maybe working a corporate job to um, going out and they know that they've been created to do something really big in the world and they're ready to start chasing that down a little bit. So, um, so two of my favorite, favorite uh, clients that I've worked with, one was working in a corporate job and she, we, through our coaching, she left to start two businesses, uh, one a theater company and then a real estate business. Um, and that was, and she's so much happier. She sent me a, a text the other day. She's like, it was, it's six months and I hit all my goals. You know, So that's the kind of person I love to work with. Amen. And one last plug I will um, put out there. I love um, you. <laughs> uh, you know, Carrie um, is like, when I think of spirituality, you know, some of us kind of pop in and out and spirituality is a, a segment of our lives. Carrie swims in the ocean of the spirit, right? <laughs> it's just it's kind of like all encompassing for her. And so if you even just want to connect with her informally, um, to talk about spirituality, maybe you're undergoing a transition. Like I said, I went through a major transition in August that kind of um, pivoted me from this really intellectual spirituality to this mysticism that I was not familiar with, did not understand, was kind of freaked out by, I still kind of am. Um, <laughs> but Carrie has been there to help kind of walk me through it and acted, served as a guide really as I've begun to, um, to swim, you know? Um, and so even if you just want to connect informally on that, vein i think carrie would be more than happy to connect with you and to to talk with you and kind of totally you know help answer questions or connect absolutely that's a privilege that's a that's god work and that's a privilege to do thank you so much for listening to my conversation with carrie on episode four of the invisible truths podcast if you appreciated anything you heard today or have been enjoying the podcast in general please take a moment to not only subscribe, but also leave a review on iTunes. That would go a long way to helping us get noticed and to spreading the word about what we're trying to do with this podcast. I also want to note to those of you that have been following my blog, now that I have a podcast out, I'm going to change up my content schedule a little bit. Uh, there will be a podcast that comes out every week, likely on uh, Monday or Wednesday. I'll try to be consistent with the day, so expect it on Monday. Um, and the blog will come out every other week on Friday still. And so I will make sure I post that on the Invisible Truths Facebook page, but I wanted to make sure you knew that I'd be changing up the schedule. That way, if you're looking forward to blogs every week, you know they're still coming. They'll just be coming less frequently, but the podcast will be coming every week. Um, next week, I will have part one of my interview with Mark Cordon. Uh, and it's going to be an amazing interview. You will be blown away by what Mark shares in the interview. So please stay tuned. Again, subscribe to the podcast. That way you get notified when those episodes come out. Uh, and yes, I did say part one of my interview with Mark Cordone. I think it might end up being two or maybe even a three-part interview. There was just so much good stuff in there. 
As you celebrate the 4th of July this week, I invite you to do a little bit of homework. Take notes on how the five stages of grief apply to your own experience of race in the United States. For a refresher, the five stages are anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So reflect on those stages and ask yourself what stage you most actively and consistently are in as it pertains to your experience of your own racial identity and the racial identity of others within the United States. Let that be your reflection as you celebrate and are with family and friends this 4th of July and see what comes of it. Um, So once again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening to episode four. I look forward to connecting with you next week on Invisible Truths. Take care.